0: Hey y'all, it's Nathan Resnick from Sourceify, and today we've got another epic guest on e-commerce on tap. This is a show about the entrepreneurs, creators, and agencies that make up the e-commerce world and the stories behind how they grew. Crack your brew because here comes another amazing episode. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. Today we have Tyler Sullivan with tech golf this is one of the fastest growing golf brands in the world their clubs have been featured in entrepreneur all across the media super excited to have you in today tyler how's it going another day living the dream man selling a couple golf clubs i cannot complain Amazing, amazing! So, before we dive into Bomb Tech Golf, I really want to learn more about you. You know, tell me more about your background and how you first even heard about e-commerce. Well, I don't know how long this podcast
1: is, but I'll give the cliff notes. So, I'm kind of a dinosaur now, compared to a lot of these young kids jumping into e-commerce. I started in two thousand eleven, and I was a slow learner for sure. Um, but I was doing sales for selling medical devices, pharmaceutical sales, and it was my pharmaceutical sales job where I was just bored out of my mind. You know, I could sell anything, but I was just, I was like, dude, I got to do something else with my life. So I started my first website, um, and it did not do well. It was, I, this is like, this is before Facebook had videos or Facebook had Facebook live. I mean, really dating myself. Um, even before the selfie existed, you know, <laughs> I mean, um, and I, I just was like, you know, I got to sell something. I got to do something other than relying on someone else's, uh, you know, a job or a paycheck. So I started a website and I was actually doing custom golf drivers where I'd wholesale different components and I would build them. And, um, I got into that cause I was obsessed with long drive for golf. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole home run derby of golf. I was like the worst, worst competitor, but I loved it. So I would go to these different competitions and I had all these custom drivers made for me and I end up breaking all of them, 15 drivers. It cost me like a couple grand. On. I was like, dude, what is going on with this? So I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to build my own. Cause I had a local club builder building them. So I started breaking them and then I just started building them out of my garage, just assembling them. And then my buddy was like, dude, can you make me one of those crazy custom drivers? I was like, yeah, dude, no problem. Wow. And I was like, well, well, I'll start selling these things. <laughs> so that's when I started wholesaling, building custom drivers. And I'll never forget it. I had the world's worst website. I had like 200 likes on Facebook. And I was actually on my boat. It's not like a yacht or anything. It's like a dinghy. Um, and I'm with my, my girlfriend at the time. I think this is before we got married. And I was like, I was looking at my phone and a sail popped in while I was on my boat. I was like, it, it just blew my mind that I just made money, sold something, and wasn't doing anything. I was on my boat.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that was kind of like, aha uh-huh, moment where I was like, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to somehow figure out how to do it. So from there, you know, I struggled and was like, dude, I, I, you know, I started building these clubs, started to get some sales. And then, you know, all the wholesalers was dealing with different brands, like they'd sell out of something. I was like, dude, I need to make my own product. Right. So I was talking to a buddy of mine that I went to college with at the University of Vermont, which is like 10 minutes from my house, where I was potentially one of the worst students, but I did graduate in five years. Wow. Uh, So, so I graduated, um, you know, I'm just talking to my buddy. I'm like, dude, I'm doing these golf drivers. I sold like a couple of them, but I want to make my own design. And We were just joking. He's like, dude, call up the University of Vermont, see if they'll engineer something. I was like, bro, there's no way they're going to help me. You know, like, I barely graduated. <laughs> like, I'm, a, you know, there's no, And I'm being lied about this. But I, so I called them up. i like, yeah, we've got a capstone project we work with. Uh, you can work with a group of students every year. You got to apply. So I applied. And I got chosen because I thought mm-hmm. it was cool. And uh, so I worked with four students in 2012, I think. And for a year, for a semester, two semesters. And they designed our first ever bomb tech driver, the dual cavity grenade. And they designed it. I got an introduction that I paid pretty well for to a manufacturer overseas. And I I brought it to market, man. And then then I just learned the whole marketing piece, which really back then was early Facebook because it had full reach and was able to scale it up pretty aggressively. Since then we've sold, I think, it's like almost 200,000 golf clubs or something like that. Wow, um, so it's incredible. been crazy, dude. It's pretty wild. Very, very I mean, lucky.
0: That's, but I. have It's awesome how you did the product development right there at the local university. I mean, a lot of people think they gotta hire, you know, all these industrial engineers or designers. And you know, for you, you were really creating a genuinely new product. Where a lot of companies start just by private labeling or you know putting their brand and their logo on an existing product. You actually went through that product development process right off the bat. I'm kind of curious, you know, what was the timeline for you to get your initial prototypes from your factory? So you got, you know, let's say a sample from the team members that you were working with at the university. You send over the designs and maybe that sample as well. You know, what was that timeline to get your uh, first sample, your production sample
1: complete? It's pretty long, so so let me let me press this. When I was doing this private labeling and doing all the stuff that's now like you know are uh, popular terms, that that stuff really didn't exist. Like that, people weren't doing that at any scale. So like that stuff wasn't even on on the table as like even an option. Um, so what we did is students made you know CAD drawings, um, a couple of different ones. We actually made different. Uh, Where they made out of plastic molds. And so we sent those to our manufacturer, and they had a million questions. And we had to really, really work with the manufacturer and the students to figure out what it was going to be like. And I definitely took some serious risks early on. So the tooling time, God, I'm trying to remember, I think it was about three months to get the tooling done. So you get the tooling done. So we sent them designs, we sent them a plastic prototype. The original tooling was done. And then after the tooling, we had samples. So that's another like 60 days. Right. Right. So what I did, I, I kind of went, went ballsy. Cause that was kind of my style. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of making like two samples, five samples, was like, yeah, let's make a hundred samples. Right. Cause I, I wanted, I wanted to sell something. I was like, all right, if we're going to make something, I'm confident the kids did a design that was worth bringing to market. Right. I don't have a ton of money, but I've got enough to make, let's say a hundred. So we had, the 100 samples made, and I think we started them in December, and I was swinging the one of the 100 samples in April. Yeah. So it's something like that. I can't remember the exact timelines. And what I actually did is as soon as I, I hit one of them, I put them on pre-order. Mm. And we sold, and that helped us pay for you know our next run. We just kept doing pre-orders right. cash flow of the business. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Um,
1: but it was a crazy process. And, and, and what I was doing early on, not to ramble on about it, but I was assembling the clubs because we had just the heads made there and then I was sourcing shafts from a different company oh,
2: wow. and grips because
1: we were doing all, all custom. So, dude, you got to understand if you could picture this, I'm doing customer service, social media, uh, live chat, email while I'm assembling clubs in my basement. And, and then packing them up, so I, I'm assembling with epoxy. I got chop saws going, Sandy belts. I got a newborn kid upstairs, and then I'm packing them up in my my beat up Subaru Legacy and driving to the post office every day, like emailing customers on the drive. It was it was a crazy time. Now the clubs are fully assembled, you know, all screwed up, bar coded, goes direct to our warehouse. You know, and we can scale. But um, I would have never. I had that whole experience that's probably unique um, that allowed me to really appreciate where we're at now,
0: you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting, you know, hearing your story. A lot of times you see these entrepreneurs starting in today's world where you have, you know, tools like Shopify, which make it easy to, you know, put your e-commerce store online or big commerce or, you know, Sourceify enables you to manufacture your products effectively. And it's kind of a complete transition from, you know, back when you were starting out where, You know, I don't even know if if Shopify was really a big thing back then. I mean, how did you first put your website up? Well, I went through,
1: I used uh, Intuit. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) My first website, then Volusion, then BigCommerce, and now I'm on Shopify. So, I mean, yeah, again, like, it's such a different world. Like, I I would say the one thing I did that was smart back then that that someone could relate to now Mm -hmm. is all I did was I, I documented my journey right so what I did is I was I was literally at the university you know like with a, a meeting with the students and I would just post that on Facebook guys I'm at the college we're designing you know uh the shape of the toe what do you think of this shape right. so what that did was I brought a small group I think we had like 2,000 likes or 1,800 like really small group but you had full reach on Facebook mm-hmm. and I brought them along the journey of like actually making the club like I asked them what color shaft, you know, what right. color head, you know, what right. length, like all this stuff as we were designing it. And they felt like they were a part of that, that first driver ever made. Mm-hmm. So then we went to, went to pre-order, I had like, dude, I didn't, the website was terrible. I don't even know if I had like all the proper pop-ups, emails, like it was a mess, like this right. is old school.
2: Right.
1: And just because I did that and had people that came along the journey, I think the first day pre-order without the product even existing, I did, like, 12 grand. Wow. And I was like, I, I was like, oh, my God, all right, I can do this. Uh, but, yeah, so we, now it's so much just different world. It's so much easier um, to, to, like, at least get the marketing and the tools set up.
2: Right. Um,
1: but I, I'm glad I had those struggles because there's so much I learned during that process that, you know, it's making things
0: easier now, you know? Definitely, 100%. Uh, what were kind of the next steps? I mean, once you got – those you know, initial uh, clubs in from your factory overseas, what, what were the next steps of scaling up? I mean, you know, I guess the bigger question here is, were there any turning points that really helped you scale up?
1: 100%, yeah, so the biggest thing for us was video. So Facebook had just launched video, um, and I really accidentally, but I had no choice, I started putting myself on camera. So I made a video in my backyard uh, in, like, literally there's a net. Like, I put, put up in my backyard with this real crappy camera, and I made a video of me hitting it. And I used to be, you know, hit it pretty hard. And it sounds like a shotgun goes off when I hit it, right? Yeah. I posted that on, on Facebook. I boosted it for, like, 300 bucks, and that got, like, 400,000 views. And on that video, I got 10,000 comments. So do you know what I did? I went through every single comment. No matter what the con was, and I communicated and engaged with that person, and literally, slowly but surely, I built uh, one-to-one relationships via Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, like at scale, and that allowed us, allowed us, allowed me to grow, and I, and I was going from like, I started three X in a company like every year,
2: right. just
1: because the use of video use of engagement with social media like true engagement and then personalizing or humanizing the brand that's where i was going with that is like if you go to our website today you'll see me i'm all over the website you know first page is like hey what's up sully i'm the owner it's like everyone i talk to now that's new school is like you know what product do i need or like you know what ad trick do i need what hack do i need it's like not people buy from people and Definitely. people buy, not just from BombTech, they buy from Sully and my story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do a lot of things that that make people feel like they're a part of that, even post-purchase and stuff. Like we do voicemails and I call people and just thank them for their order so they feel like they're part of the team they'll buy again. It's a lot different than a lot of what I'm seeing out there with like, it's all about the product. It's all about the ad. And it's like, yeah, that stuff is going to help get there. But it's like, Offer, um, what else do I say? It's offer, email, and person. It's like you get those three things right. You get your emails dialed in with copy. You have a person inside of the brand. You got the right offer. Then you can use tools like Facebook ads um, and other ways to get traffic to actually convert. So I know it's a long tangent, but that's kind of how we
0: scale. It's just video and engagement and uh, the right offer. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, I love that people buy from people, even, even online, you know, I think that's really missed out a lot of times where people think, you know, they, they just leave that equation out of their, you know, sales funnel. They just don't think that, you know, people are going to be buying from people. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a great way to put it it's really to the point And I love it. So, you know, next steps, you scale up, you know, now you're doing, let's say, you know, mid six figures or so. How do you break that, you know, next, threshold of hitting a few million in sales. I mean, do you diversify across channels? Do you start selling, you know, across retail, uh, your own website and Amazon, you know, what kind of are those next steps that get you to expand? And, you know, walk me through kind of your omni-channel sales dynamic because I know, you know you're selling on Amazon, you're selling in some retailers, and you've got your own shop online. You know, you've got three main omni-channel Sales setups and channels, how do you manage all of that?
1: yeah, so I, I think the scaling question is really interesting and something I pride myself on, and it took me years to figure this out but like the, the biggest thing you need to do to scale is delegate right so like when I first started hitting I think I did one point two million by myself because wow. i was I was that, I was that guy I was insane, and that was when I was still like shipping the clubs myself. Like it was it was stupid, but I should have delegated it earlier. Um, but I just, you know, I was too stubborn to do that. So what I was able to scale to like what I consider real volume is I delegated customer service, right? I know it sounds really simple, but this allows everything else to actually fall in place. And I was always under the impression I've been in sales my whole life. No one's gonna be able to sell better than I can there's no way I'm letting someone else answer the phone other than me and it's like if they can do even 80% as well as you are that frees you up to do bigger li- lever activities that move the needle in a bigger way mm-hmm. so early first thing I did hire customer service to answer emails and phone and if you do live chat do live chat the second yeah. thing was delegating fulfillment this was this was my biggest and still we got to figure it out now, but probably the hardest challenge for me to learn was, all right, we were doing all custom drivers because that's what I thought the customer wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first hired a customer service guy, he's like, dude, everyone's asking me what shaft length and what flex and what grip. And I'm like, and they kept doing it. And then the customer service guy, I first hired Chris, was like, dude, this, like, everyone's asking me this. And they kept telling me this. And I'm like, dude, whatever, keep just deal with it. And I was like, "Wait, why are we doing this? If everyone right. is confused, I'm not right. My opinion doesn't matter at all." Right. Uh, so I said, "All right, let's not go custom." And I did that, so we could then do fulfillment. So now we were able to outsource fulfillment, and that freed us up to spend all of our time on marketing, outreach, social media, the things that generate money. I think this is the biggest thing: is you know, early, you know, sub seven-figure e-commerce stores. They always focus on the wrong stuff, myself included. So fulfillment number two. And then the third thing I delegated was things that I was not the best at. And one of those was ads. So Facebook okay. ads, Google, I just, there's people out there that are better at that than you are. Right. So right. can you find that's the hardest part as finding a partner that's actually uh, elite or, or worthy of earning your money to spend it? Right. Mm-hmm. But when I delegated those three things, I had total freedom to focus on the stuff that actually mattered and move the needle in a big way.
2: Mm-hmm. And that was
1: channels, you know. Uh, Who we talked about influencer marketing, offer emails, product launches, like like just my like shifts in the company. So when I had, was able to do that, then we could spend more on ads, we could scale quicker, launch quicker. Right. You know, and then really just have this feedback loop of like, all right, now we have a system so we can bring product into it. How do we figure out what people actually want? Right. Then what we would do we would we would do a mock up of a product, right? We wouldn't even launch it. And then we'd we'd put a sign up form there and we'd run traffic to it. And if people signed up and at, at a good enough percent, we'd launch it. But then I had a launch formula. So I wouldn't launch product that wouldn't sell. That's so, smart. So, the, so but that, all that stuff would have never happened if I was in the business. You know, right. if I was still yeah. doing the ads, shipping the product, dealing with customer customer service, sending the emails, like all this stuff that really sh- either you can hire or hire an expert. You know, hire in house or an expert. So right now, you know, last year I think we did six point three million. I, I was nice. hoping to do more, uh, but I did that with three employees. That's amazing. And every 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 time I say it, people freak out. I'm like, why? They, right. You're you're spending time on stuff that doesn't matter. Right. So we, we run su- super lean, but and and I'll be honest. I used to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week for five years. I now work on bomb tech, one to two hours a week. That's wow. it.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Walk me through, I want to touch on kind of the fulfillment side of the business, because I know you said you were struggling a bit with that and had some challenges outsourcing it initially. You know, can we kind of touch on that process and, you know, understand number one, what stage did you get to where you decided to outsource fulfillment? And number two, you know, what troubles did you find and, and, and face with some of the fulfillment partners you uh, were working with? Yeah,
1: so this is a, a long, in-depth struggle that we we had figured out but it took me long everything for me is is, seems like it takes longer um (laughs) joking aside so the first move was i was still doing custom right and then i found a vermont-based assembly plant that was that's what they did they were not a fulfillment house they were assembly plants that try to do fulfillment okay Mm -hmm. so picture this we got different shafts different types different grips different heads and they're, they're not only in charge of assembling the right pieces, then they're in charge of fulfilling and shipping correctly. Right. How well do you think that was? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we, we were running, we were operating all custom on six to eight-week lead times for a year. Every order, think about that, took six to eight weeks to ship out. Wow, that's so, crazy. So, and I think that was, like, right around, like I was saying, like the uh, million-dollar mark, where I was like, I would go to this, it was an hour and a half away, assembly plan I drive down there like three times a week check in it was just it was it was a total it was a nightmare we we did it the product was good the results were good and then when I finally had an epiphany of like why are we doing custom when we standard
2: Man.
1: that was the moment where I was like all right we can take it to a real fulfillment house not assembly plan and give it a go so I, I was like all right where should we go and I was like, all right, let's go somewhere close to us so I could have my hand in the business still, right? I'm still in that narrow mindset where I have to be involved. So I went to Massachusetts. And, you know, pretty good service there. But so we started getting the bills from there. I was like, I got a bill one month for not that many clubs, like $80,000 to ship them. And I almost threw up. I was like, I'm like, how is that possible? So I called the, the owner up of the fulfillment center who I chose because they are close to us. I'm like, dude, what do you, what happened? He's like, well, that's so how much it costs ships. I'm like, give me the breakdown. I look at it. And I, and I go through the numbers. I'm like, oh, my God. We're shipping. Where do you think our number one state was? And we're shipping uh-huh. from Massachusetts, the East Coast. Where do you think our number one state was?
0: I'm going to guess it's on the West Coast.
1: California, dude. The <laughs> farthest possible place was our 8% eight, 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 eight of sales were in Cali. I was like, um. okay. Uh, strike one. So first step was getting a fulfillment house that could do some scale. Right. That was not assembly plan. And I was like, oh my god, Cali's number one. Alright. So next step, so that's fulfillment house number two. I was like, all right, let's go to a big boy. Doesn't matter, we'll find a location that's good. California's number one. So I went with a excellent fulfillment center. I'll still do for them any day of the week. They did an excellent job out of Cali.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're shipping from uh, overseas it was quicker there. We were with them for about a year and a half, and they did a great job. Uh, you know, 99.9% accuracy, like no issues with customers, it was it was excellent. So we're doing now container loads. So they're unlo- unloading, you know, 40 foot containers, couple of them at a time, really? doing some real volume. And then this, this January, and we had some serious inventory. I look at the bill and our storage fees were like astronomical because of California.
2: Oh, so we ran
1: the numbers again, Random numbers again. I'm like, all right, we need to find a place. So now we've moved for fourth time to Wisconsin. This is our last move. I quit. Um, so Wisconsin, we actually found, after all this effort, uh, shipping location, quickest shipping times based on all our averages. And it did take, I, I say this stuff later, but it did take that much data to really figure out, all right, based throughout the whole year, where's our optimal point? Right. That can give us the best shipping rates. Because Cali wasn't bad, but it wasn't perfect. Right. So now we're in Wisconsin, where shipping rates are better. Uh, you know, we use FedEx Smart Post because they've got such good rates there. Shipping rates are quicker, or shipping times are quicker. And then uh, our cost overall, if we don't have any real high zones, is better. And now fulfillment's an afterthought. Like fulfillment before was me was the first thought. How do I ship this product down? Now it's like I only want to hear about fulfillment fulfillment. If we actually hear from fulfillment, it's usually an issue.
2: Something right. can
1: happen or whatever. So it's now it's it's set up as a system. They can scale up. We have a huge day and we bang an email out that kills that we sell thousands of right. orders or whatever. They just scale up and we don't have to think
0: yeah. about it. Yeah, it's I mean,
1: totally
0: I want to make a note because I think what's super cool that I see listening to you is that you know your data, you know your numbers, you know you knew that 8% of your customers are in California so you took that data and made the most of it and made a transition to you know benefit your business and I think a lot of times companies overlook the data and overlook the numbers which is really what business comes down to and so kind of you know transitioning here I know one of the you know main growth strategies that you have is around email and I know you run a really cool email marketing agency as well that helps a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs uh, handle and manage their emails. So you know, listeners, if you guys are looking for help with your emails and, and converting customers uh, via email, definitely hit Tyler Up. I'll put the link in the comments below uh, in the episode. But you know, I just want to touch on your email strategies briefly and what kind of advice you have and what you've seen. Uh, successfully you know implemented to convert customers through email at a higher percentage
1: yeah so this the last couple of years have been really interesting because everyone focuses on ads and what I call shiny ball syndrome where and I used to get this is why I say to go full circle with it it's like I used to work all the time but it was on stuff like I'm tweaking button color I'm tweaking page layout I'm tweaking uh, you know this ad, this whatever, and it's like, whoa, whoa. What are the big levers? Offer, email, person, right? And this last year or year and a half, Facebook ads, which was a large driver of traffic, traffic mm-hmm. sources will change, is expensive, and it's getting more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So we we had to take a look internally and said, all right, guys, Facebook. We're huge on Facebook. We've got three Facebook groups, you know, that combine like thirty thousand people. Uh, huge community on there, 110,000 people on Facebook page, yada, yada, yada. But really, it's like, what is our biggest asset? And it's like, this is so in my face, but it took me so long, and our ad costs to go up to really realize this. But what's our asset? Like, right. at the end of the day, bomb tech Golf is only as good as our the only thing we truly control. Cause if you don't control your Facebook page, mm-hmm. you, you, you can control ads, but costs are going up. The only true asset you have is your email list your customer list and that's it. So when ads started to go up, I said, dude, we uh we gotta figure this out because Facebook right. ads are going up and I hear this all the time, like, oh ads are going up, we're screwed. And it's like, all right, let's take a step back and look at and this is why I say with big lever stuff, stop worrying about the stuff that doesn't move the needle. And let's see what actually moved the needle this month. Okay, we sent right. an email on Monday and our sales Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were were insane. And then this our our ad guy would be like every it's funny he'd be like dude our return on ad spends 100x Mm -hmm. and he'd call me up freaking i'm like dude it's because we send email right Right. so email email allows us to do a couple things allows us our cost to acquisition to be lower
2: Mm -hmm. uh it allows
1: us to spend more on ads so we can still survive in a world where ad costs are going up too right so so and like really the Third thing I'm saying is like person, right? So all the emails we write, it comes down to not only copy subject line, all the things that, you know, we do as experts for other companies now, which mm-hmm. happened kind of accidentally, kind of cool, but it's from an individual, right? Because we're, okay. we're buying from people. It's so many brands that we now have access to, which is so cool, and we just have conversations with, they're just selling product. Mm-hmm. And there's no person, it's like when you're in a right, Effective email flows and campaigns. Yeah, it's people buying from people. So write the copy like that. It has such a crazy impact. And like Clavio did it. And this is how that whole started. Clavio did a case study on us. Mm -hmm. Actually, Chris, my main employee who started this whole thing up, who does all of our email bomb tech, the reason for our success with it. They did a case study on all of our success. And then we started getting hit hit up with all these e-com clients. Like, dude, I heard your case study on Clavio. Can you run email for us? And at first, I was like, I don't know if we should do that. And and I really realized, all right, I can help change the world by selling products for golf that are affordable and live that life. Or I can try to help e commerce owners that may not have had my journey Mm -hmm. be as profitable as they can and grow and pay it forward and hire more people. And I got really excited about that. So now what we're doing is we're doing free email audits. It's actually Chris who does all. He's the email expert that does it all and got our revenue, fifty-five percent from fifty-five percent from email. Uh, we're doing free email audits for any ecom clients that are. are just my personal website right now, SullyTyler.com. And also, you know, if any ecom companies just want to talk to me outside of email, I mean, I love just talking about, you know, delegation. You know, all the stuff that seems boring that actually will allow you to. To work like I do, a couple hours a week, definitely. and not be in your business, because I've been there, man. Right. I struggled and did that and fought that battle, and it's what it's. It was actually my having my kids that made me figure that out. Yeah. And it's like if I if I can teach anyone else how to get outside their business and live a life they actually want, and it's not like I'm this. i have definitely no guru, but uh, right. it's a pretty powerful thing. And you know, I invite anyone that's interested in that stuff that can they can hit me up even. Direct on my email, sully at com. Awesome. I just love talking about this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, man, no. E- email right now, especially with traffic sources mm-hmm. getting more expensive, now we're trying to Snapchat ads, different things, and
2: yeah.
1: having the email automation and flow set up, which will allow your traffic to work better. And that's what a lot of people miss, too. They're like, yeah. oh, man, my ad, my ad didn't convert. My retargeting didn't work. Convert. Well, okay. But so you, got, you got 10 flows set up, mm-hmm. and you got these campaigns that are killing it that are going to allow you to spend more than someone else and get a right. customer because right. you know you're going to get them on email two three four twenty nine hundred whatever. And that's the exciting part. It's like any, our biggest days ever, biggest months ever are always cause email, you know, mm-hmm. so that, it's, it's such a like cold board email. People just like, they don't, they don't look at it as a lever, but it's like, that's where really the lens you'd have. Like as a business owner, right. what moves the needle, shipping your products doesn't designing your cool brand yeah you got to have brand design but you don't need to go on your website every day and tweak stuff like that's what you do and it's pretty crazy to have this this um this view and perspective now and you know it's a uh, it's a crazy world to live in i'm very fortunate um and lucky to have the team I have yeah and uh to be where we're at you know
0: definitely so wrapping up here i mean where do you see e-commerce headering as a whole? You know, is it going to continue to be optimized through Shopify stores? Is it going to continue to blend the offline and online? You know, what are you excited for specifically at BombTech Golf? And or generally, what are you spe- specifically excited for uh, in the e-commerce industry as a whole? Uh, for us right now, we've, you know, growing our customer list every year
1: and really managing that asset It's probably the most exciting thing because we spend so much time, effort, and money just to make sure every single person that buys is is so happy that when we launch something new, you know, they're going to buy. And really, that's the exciting part is just really nurturing that list so you've got that asset that's real, right? Because when we launch a new driver, new irons, or whatever, and now our email list is so much bigger and so much more engaged those launches just become exponentially larger. So that's the first thing, direct through Shopify or your own channel. Mm-hmm. The second thing that's interesting is Amazon, we really never mess with because I wanted to own customer info, right? I wanted to go as big as I could with the hardest thing to do, which was that. But this year, we're actually, you know, you're talking omni-channel. Uh, we're doing FBA on Amazon for the first time ever. Now we're getting really what I call measurable revenues from that but not much effort. So I do see the appeal as an, it's an income stream, not an asset. I just look at that as, all right, can we pay overhead? Can we pay the employees with Amazon? That was the goal. We've done that. And now it's just a nice income stream. I don't love Amazon because you are playing on their turf. You get banned, which we did once before and all that income's gone. I always go e-commerce first, own the assets. And then if you can get multiple, you know, resellers, Amazon, Walmarts, right. Omnichannel, and Income Streams. Right. That's the way to do it. And then, you know, my future is I, I think I'm going to launch. We did design a ski with the University of Vermont so I'm a huge skier. I only launch brands that I know or products right. I know. Uh, so we're going to launch a ski brand in the, I think, this fall, maybe not. If not this fall, next fall, That's uh, awesome. which was designed for the Yeah, dude, I, it's pretty crazy because my dad and I grew up together, you know, so I was like two. And this past winter, we actually went skiing on a ski I designed with UVM, and it was it was such a cool thing. um it's pretty cool to play golf clubs I I designed with UVM, and then a ski that we'll ski on. But it's only stuff I know and can talk about. Really? And that's the other thing with products. It's like, man, I used to have these guys hit me up. Oh well, leggings are hot. Uh, I'm going to sell leggings, like, you're a dude, what do you know about leggings, man? Like, right. so it's just like, do what you love, the money will come, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited, you know, anyone wants to hit us up on consulting, we can help other brands grow, and, you know, have success like we did, I mean, man, uh, we're, we're going to do the best we can to help you out, and uh, super excited about a whole yeah. different business model, which is consulting. but yeah. no, it's, uh, it's an exciting time, no matter what you're doing, as long as you uh, put a person to it, and enjoy what you do, and you care about your customer.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, Sully, thank you so much for coming on e-commerce on tap, brought to you by Sourceify. If people want to get in touch or check out Bomb Tech Golf, how should they reach you?
1: Uh, you can email me straight up at sully at bombtechgolf.com. your e-commerce client, sullytiler.com, or just email me. At our main website is bombtechgolf.com. If you can't get me there, I, I, I quit.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Sully, thank you again. Everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. Super excited to have Sully in here and keep an eye out for our next episode. Thank you. And there you have it. Thanks again for tuning in to e-commerce on tap. If you could like subscribe, tell a friend, really spread the word about the information we're getting out there. That would be much appreciated. Also, if you have any manufacturing questions or need help with your manufacturing, feel free to reach out to Sourceify, for the fastest growing manufacturing platform, helping hundreds of companies produce products around the world. Thanks again and have a great one.